Welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast as we wrap up our expert roundtable series. This is the final episode in this five-part series, and today we're talking about game-changing gear. What gear truly matters to these hunters? What makes the biggest difference in their hunting success? Or put another way, if they had a limited budget and were starting all over from scratch, where would they focus on spending their money for gear for their next hunt? That's the question we're talking about today. Our guests for the series are Jeff Bloomquist, Darren Cooper, Billy Malls, Charlie Perry, and Steve Speck. If you haven't caught the previous episodes in this series, go to exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast, and you'll not only find the previous episodes of the series, but all prior episodes of this podcast. If you haven't yet, hit that subscribe or follow button in your podcast app. Do that, and you'll receive future episodes automatically. But right now, let's talk about game-changing gear and dive right in with Jeff Bloomquist. I think we all get caught up too much in gear. Um, I, I know I, I do myself, right? Like I overthink it. You know, I, I look back and like my dad and my uncle were successful in blue jeans and a flannel, right? So, and now I spend ridiculous amounts of money on camouflage and all this stuff that it's like, do I really need that to be successful? Um, I would say that what I focus on as far as gear wise are things that make you comfortable because if you are comfortable, you're more likely to stay and hunt. Um, and the more time you're in the field, the more likely you are to be successful. So um, if I had to pick one, my number one thing would be my, uh, my Garmin inReach. And the reason for that is because I solo hunt a lot of the time. So from a safety standpoint, right? Like knowing that I have that SOS button, if for some reason that I would need it, um is always there and the other part of it too is like if i want to go hunting and i want to go hunting by myself um that makes my wife uncomfortable um and if my wife's uncomfortable then you know she's gonna be worried about me or not want me to go and that all creates issues around staying in the field longer right so knowing that she can track me at any moment get a hold of me at any moment, regardless if I have cell phone service, um, that keeps me in the field longer, giving me the opportunity to be successful. So number one would be my inReach. Um, on the comfort theme, number two would be your shoes, right? So I'm not like Steve where I can't, I can't just wear tennis runners out there hiking around. Um, I need a boot. And I found uh, actually the, the crisp, crispy Laponia to be my favorite one. Um, it's lightweight. Um, you know, it's, it's a perfect, in my opinion, all season boot because my feet always are warm and coupled with the boot would be a uh, Luco tape. So I don't know for those of you who haven't used it. I don't know what it's for. I'm guessing it's some type of medical tape, but, um, that stuff is amazing. So before I even leave the truck, I tape my feet up because, what you don't want to have is a blister or a hot spot or a sore spot. So if you know where you're prone to get those, honestly, like that Luco tape and taping up before you leave is going to save you so much pain and agony. Um, and it's worth every cent. <laughs> and that stuff, like you can put it on and you can hunt like the whole hunt, like a five, seven day hunt and use the same tape. 
it's it's amazing. Um, the last thing I would say is uh, my backpack, and not just because I'm on the podcast, but like I love that Diaxo. Um, it's, it's it's all comfort, right? So it's like you can put a lot of weight in that thing, and it's still comfortable. You can hike farther um, because you're more comfortable. Um, you can, you know, obviously if I'm hunting by myself, right? Like there's a lot of times that I'm killing an elk by myself, butchering it all up by myself, packing it all out by myself. And so knowing how far you can go and still be comfortable, meaning like how far I can kill it from the road and still get it out and be comfortable knowing that I have a pack that's actually capable of doing it is, is big. And so that I'm not going to be in a position where by the time I'm done, like, I'm like, I never, I'm never doing that hunt again. Right. Um, so th those would be the three things like the inreach, the boots and the pack. It's all things that make it more enjoyable and more comfortable. On the, uh, just a random side note on killing solo elk, what's your distance like limitation and how many trips do you normally take to pack out an elk? Um, <laughs> I don't have a distance limitation. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, because I'm thinking, here's my mindset around it, right? Like if I kill one, if it takes me a couple of days, it takes me a couple of days, right? Like um, it's not, it typically doesn't, but it's, I, I don't use that as a determining factor. Now I'm not going to go hike in 10 miles because honestly, like I just, I don't usually go that far, but um killing one based on how far it is, is, is not a problem. Like, I guess I'll, I'll give a quick example on that. So like my buddy, Bobby and I were in Colorado and we were, it was rifle season and we had deer and elk tags and we'd, we'd seen these elk in this spot like every day. And we were like, we just, <laughs> we just didn't want to go in there. Right. It's one of those spots where you're just like, it's at 12,000 feet way back in there. I don't want to go kill an elk in there. And by day five or six, like we hadn't killed anything yet. And so we got back to camp that night and we were like, we knew what we had to do. Like it was unconscious, like, or like we didn't even say anything. Like we both knew we had to go in there the next day. And so we went opposite directions because we had seen two different herds and I shoot and drop one. And then a couple minutes later, I heard Bobby shoot and I got on the radio and uh, he's like, did you get him? And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, did I get, or, and he's like, well, I think I missed mine, but I'm going to go check. And I was like, oh, thank God. You know, thank God, <laughs> thank God he missed. And then like a couple, a couple minutes later, he gets back on and he's like, Hey, I found him. And like, honestly, I was like, shit, <laughs> like this, this is going to be brutal. Right. And I'm like, well, I'll see you tonight back at camp. Right. And he was like, yeah, I'll see you then. And I mean, and like we, we got half of them out that day and half of them out the next day. And I mean, it sucked, but we did it. Right. And so knowing that you could go do it, like I don't put a limitation on myself because it's like, if I have to hike that far, I will, I will make it happen at some point. What was the second part of your question? Besides that, there was. Uh, how many trips? Oh, how many trips? So here, here's one thing. It depends on how far, right? So if it's not that far, I'm going to, overweight myself to do as few trips as possible um i usually try to bone it all out as well uh although like my wife 
now is really into making bone broth. And so she gets pissed for when I don't pack the bones off of the mountain. Um, but uh, usually I'm like, well, I'll kill something else somewhere else that's closer and we'll get it out. But um, I would say like, if it's like three to four miles and I'm by myself, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna bone the whole thing out and I should be able to get it in three trips. Have you run into experiences maybe earlier in archery season where you kind of are being solo more conscious just from a meat spoilage perspective? So like the example you mentioned, Colorado rifle, you probably had great conditions for it to right. take two days, but um, have you personally been up against the clock? Yes. Uh, so it's been one time in Idaho, it was super warm. Um, and so I got it all in two trips. Uh, technically three, but like I had... I had gotten myself where I'd killed the bull and I was in a spot where there was no water. And I, after by, you know how much work it is to butcher one. Right. And by the time I got done, I was so dehydrated that I was honestly a little bit of afraid for myself. Right. Like I'd put myself in a bad position. Um, and so I hiked out without any meat to get water. And that's the first time I've ever done that. And probably hopefully the last time. So I ended up going back in that afternoon and got half of it. And then I went back in the next morning and got the other half. Um, but I, I would say like, if you can get it off the bone, even if it's warm, if you can get it, get the meat off the bone and get it hung in a tree, you'd be surprised at how well that meat will stay. Um, I think it's the biggest thing is getting, getting them, especially on the hindquarters, like getting that bone out of there. Cause if it's going to spoil, that's where it's going to spoil. Um, and just getting some air movement to it. So getting it hung up in a tree, getting it in a bag. Um, I think a lot of times we overplay that. Like it can be warm and the meat will still hold a, a day or two. It's just got to get off the bone as soon as possible. So to recap, game-changing gear for you in reach, take care of your feet and a good pack. It sounds like a familiar list, Steve. Yeah, that's probably my top three as well. Uh, I like that. Yeah, I like that you mentioned like comfortable because that can be different for every single person, right? Comfortable could be packing the freaking kitchen sink with you. Comfort right. for me is how much weight can I possibly reduce in my pack, right? And so that I can move comfortably all day long and then I forego some of the camp things, right? Um, for, for sure. The, that, yeah, it just completely depends on the person. I think one thing too that I didn't mention that we probably all overlook anymore, but it's our phone, right? Like the cell phone. Um, it, it, to your point, Steve, of like taking stuff away, like, I mean, it's your GPS now, right? It's your camera. It's your communication device. Like it's your map, right? It's like, it's everything. Um, so I, I didn't add that in there. But I just it got me thinking when you said that, like the, your phone is, to me anyways, it's kind of a game changer for gear because it, it can do so much and it makes you get rid of a lot of stuff that you would have had to carry around before. There's a lot of misconceptions out there about, you know, what gear is super important, but um, some of it's, some of it's also spot on. And it's probably one thing I did pretty good job of when I was starting out bow hunting is I was, I guess I've always been a gear junkie and I was, I was into mountaineering and rock climbing and stuff too, um, in, in high school and in college. And so, um, that 
probably helped me a little bit get a jump on the, you know, backcountry backpacking game because there wasn't, you know, exo backpacks wasn't around, obviously. Um, you know, Kuyu wasn't around. We didn't have hunting gear like we have today. So if you wanted to go backcountry, you know, bow hunting in 1991, um, through 2000 or whatever you used mountaineering gear for the most part um you know obviously there's you know hunting clothing and stuff out there but it was nowhere near what we have now so i i got familiar with those um mountaineering brands pretty early and and um you know i bought a a a high-end down sleeping bag from western mountaineering in 1995 and I still have that bag today. It's still one of the best pieces of gear in, in, uh, you know, my arsenal. And it's proof that, you know, if you buy good stuff, it can last you, you know, essentially a lifetime. Um, so that sleeping bag, you know, down, but good down bag. Um, some people argue that synthetic is, you know, this and that, and maybe for certain climates and whatnot, um, synthetic makes more sense, but for me, a good down bag, you know, for, for most Western hunting is, is a good foundational piece of gear, um, along with the, obviously sleeping pad and then a down puffy. That's like a, a lifesaver in my pack. Um, if I do have to spend the night on the mountain, I've got that down puffy, uh, if I'm sweated up and then I gotta, you know, sit in the cold for, you know, a long time glass and on top of the ridge um guaranteed i'm going to be in that down puffy i've even started packing the down pants recently because they don't weigh much and um, they don't take up too much room in your pack but uh after a night on the mountain or whatever shivering um you definitely come to appreciate the comfort that those will offer um from a you know even glassing points when it's miserable or whatever and other guys are peeling off and you know going to get out of the wind and a different spot you can stick it out and you know sit there and spot more game and and do that stuff so staying warm is obviously you know an important thing um boots and packs you know um a great pack is uh, um, a lifesaver especially when it comes time to getting meat out um a, f- a fun story for you steve is a good friend of mine um, in college and I designed backpacks back in probably 1997 and built them, had Bucks bags here in town, sew them up for us. And it was like CNC hunting adventures, Cooper and Cox shout out to Mike Cox, buddy of mine from, uh, my fraternity in college. But, um, so we, we sewed up these backpacks and, and, um, did our first, backpack hunt together in it was probably 97 and kill i killed a spike bull um we were in probably four or five miles and i had my brother with me he had some kind of a i don't know some kind of crappy frame pack you know old school frame pack but man packing those elk out just about killed us but um at the time we were like man wouldn't it be cool if we could have a backpack company and like eh, nobody will ever buy backpacks (laughs) (laughs) hunting specific (laughs) so so we scrapped it and uh, you know it would have been cool if we'd iterated that and yeah but it was you know a little too early but uh it was cool yeah we designed the aluminum frames and you know everything 
but uh, yeah, it was, that was pretty cool. But um, the other thing that, you know, other thing that I would have done um, in, that I would do immediately, I guess, is um, a tripod adapter for your binoculars. I mean, good Lord. I there's not very many people use their binos on a tripod, but Holy cow, that's a game changer. Um, you see, so, you, you know, your field of view is so big and, you know, an ear can flicker at, you know, and you got a whatever 400, 500 foot field of view and you can see an ear flicker, you know, in that big window and, and pick it up, you know, if your glass is stable. So, um, you know, a good tripod, uh, is also, you know, important, but a tripod adapter for your binoculars, you could use, um, you know, substandard or cheap optics on, on a good stable platform and probably see, you know, 90, 98% as much game as a guy with, you know, some of the best stuff. Um, good arrows. I don't know. A lot of guys buy the cheapest arrows out there cause they know they're going to break them or whatever. And, um, but I don't know how you judge how well you can shoot if your arrows aren't necessarily, if your arrows are the weak link. So um, maybe spend a little more money on arrows and get some stuff that's really consistent with spine and straightness isn't that critical, but um, spine around the shaft can sure matter when you strap a broadhead on. So yeah, you have any more? Can you kind of dive deeper into that for guys? Yeah. Um, you know, all carbon shafts are, are tougher to make with a really consistent spine around the shaft. And so while all, all carbon is, is awesome for, for durability um, and lightweight, you know, and they're, and they're, and they're tough, you know, you can beat them up and they'll, they'll take a, they'll take a beating. Um, sometimes, they're just difficult to make because of the um, tensile strength strength of the fibers that, that go into those carbon shafts. If they're not, you know, super consistently um, stacked in that tube, you can get one side of the arrow being stiffer than the other. And um, the, the easiest way to, to tell is um, to take a shaft and maybe hold one end in the palm of, of your hand and then put a slight bend on it with your second hand in the midpoint of the shaft with the other end on the, on a table, preferably like a glass table. Don't do it on your mom's wood table, but then just roll that shaft back and forth. And if you can feel um, bumps or high spots or stiffness in different areas in that shaft, if it's going boom, 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 as you roll it, then there's a, there's a really good chance that, um, that shaft isn't super consistent with the spine around its uh, circumference. And so as you rotate a knock, you're going to get a different tear through paper or a different tune or most likely a different broadhead impact um, every time you rotate that knock. Whereas a, you know, a shaft that rolls good and smooth on the tables got really consistent spine. At least all those arrows are going to shoot the same regardless of where the knock is rotated. So I like the arrows that have, uh, you know, an aluminum core or aluminum, um, outer. It seems to really normalize spine in the, in those shafts. And it is extremely rare for me to find one of those that 
I can actually feel any irregularity in the spine. So I think we know what brand that probably belongs to, but I won't. <laughs> I was going to say, it doesn't leave too many options out there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Not just because I used to work for that company, but, you know, through a lot of testing and, and understanding what goes into, you know, making arrows shoot and, you know, talking to their engineers and, you know, what issues there are with, you know, other products that, you know, kind of help me understand that, you know, that's probably the most critical factor. Uh, for what I do, like mountain hunting, um, zip off puffy pants, I would say are, are huge. Um, they're so convenient. They simplify things that, that would be like a staple if you're going on an Alaskan hunting adventure. Um, a, a good tarp, you know, especially on not so much like on a sheep hunt as much, but, um, uh, like I have just like 10 by 10 Hilleberg tarp that when I'm bear hunting, moose hunting or whatever, I always set it up. And then I put a green like alder bush or willow bush in the middle, kind of create somewhat of a teepee effect. It's kind of like a lean to shelter. Um, but you prop that up in the middle cause got to get a green one. So it's got some flex. I mean, that just makes life so much, so much easier. And you're um, doing that like during the day for glassing and cover. Yeah. Uh, well, not really cover, just protection from the elements. Yeah. So like cutting the wind, but namely rain for Alaska. I mean, I don't set it up if it's a nice day, but I mean, I, I can't imagine hunting Alaska without that thing. Um, uh, sleeping bag is good. You know, you're spending uh, 30 your time sleeping, you know, roughly and you need good rest. So yeah, I would say that's a big one. Get a good, good sleeping bag, uh, and a, and a quality air mattress, you know, get one, you know, get one of the thicker ones, like a Neo air. Uh, there's lots of, lots of them out there, but that's just one that I've used, but that's kind of been a game changer for me. I remember I was kind of first starting out those things just came out and i mean they were like 170 bucks or whatever they were and i was like agonizing over spending that 170 dollars for that thing because i had one that worked you know i was broke just starting to raise a family and I'm like man 170 dollars a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> and when that first night that i slept on that thing and i'm like man it was worth 170 dollars for last night um, <laughs> So, I mean, those, those are very, very different than probably, you know, the, those are probably pretty Alaska specific, but yeah, I would say just get, minimize your gear. I mean, that's the biggest problem that I see with hunters is they have so much junk. They think they need three sets of everything. I mean, I don't even have two complete sets. Like I'll have maybe two pairs of pants, you know, I'll have three pairs of underwear that lasts me for three months. You know, I'll wash it in a creek once in a while if I get a chance. But yeah, you need so much less than than you think. I mean, you can get by on so little. Um, you know, I'll go on a 10-day sheep hunt and you know, most people will backpack style. You basically just take what you need, that's it. And you don't you don't need much. So yeah, get better gear and um just get less of it. Um, you know, I don't, men are like women with shoes when it comes to like camel patterns and this and that it's like, ah, just, just buy good stuff, buy less of it. I like it. We'll make this uh specific for Steve. So Billy, I don't know if you know, but last year, Steven on a sheep hunt and he's headed back this year. And obviously if you think of hunting sheep, 
optics become critical uh, for judging legality, things like that. So I'm curious for you to, to expand on gear. What is your preferred optic setup? Uh, for me, like I'm filming all my hunts, you know, the one thing, the biggest game changer for me that's been really handy is having the rangefinder built into my binoculars. That's been huge. Yeah, the way it's a little bit of a drawback, but it simplifies things, you know. Um, so that was a good one. I got a pair of Swarovskis, really like them. Um, to start out, if you're just starting out with, I mean, I would get a pair of three, $400 binoculars, whatever they are, you know the average guy doesn't need the 3000 ones right away. That's kind of an easy one to upgrade. Um, I wouldn't go splurge right away, but eventually, you know, if you're going on a, like a sheep hunt, that sort of thing. Uh, yeah. Swarovski, Leica, Zeiss, um, maybe there's one or two in there, but I mean, those are pretty much at the top of the heap. I'd say those are good. Um, I've got like a 65, millimeter the ats whatever those adaptable ones where you can put on different um, um oculars you know i had a i got a 65 i had a 90 whatever it is 95 i ended up selling the 95 i just stick with the 65 just keep it lightweight keep it simple and i don't know like less is more i i think the more i kind of got into gear the more all i i'm all about simplifying that way you're using the same gear over and over and over again you know and you just become more familiar with it like a guy asked what what should i bring for a rifle you know if you've got something that's suitable and you're familiar with it you know and you like it you're comfortable with it bring that rather than buy a new rifle let's say you know yeah like that's a that's a good point to add here is it's not like the gear itself may be fantastic, but your capabilities with that gear are what truly matters, right? So you could have the the best what have you, but if you're not proficient with it, comfortable with it, uh, confident with it, and all those things, the gear itself doesn't matter. It's your experience and your capabilities of employing that gear in the way it, it needs to be done. Absolutely. Biggest, biggest example I see is shooting sticks. I see these guys come up with shooting sticks all the time. Um, and they, they're not familiar with them. It's like those things. I never let a hunter leave <laughs> the tent with those unless they're like, no, I use these all the time. Um, you know, you're always using a pack a rock you're getting prone ideally. Um, you know, so yeah, if you're just buying a thing for like one particular hunt, chances are that thing's going to be more likely to be a hindrance than it is an asset. Well, first thing comes to mind, an XO pack, right? um you know i remember looking back at it you know when i was 18 19 didn't have a lot of money um and i always look back and i always had good boots um i know that's a lot of you know everyone kind of says that but um i always had good boots and i always had uh just worked with my my bow a lot so um just making sure that i had uh you know all my equipment was on my bow doesn't mean you have to have top of the line everything but just just a good working setup um that that your confidence in because that's that's basically what's gonna help you notch that tag right and so i always had uh and steve knows that's we always talk to the archery archery uh 
shop and bow shop and i was just always shooting my bow and just making sure my equipment was tuned up then ha- you didn't have to have the highest quality stuff just make sure that your equipment was working and uh that just had good boots and then you can just go hike hmm. i like it that's simple <laughs> what do you uh you know steve's always talking about boots for you charlie what's your go-to these days you know i've i you know back in the day i was ran the big you know the big heavy you know uh leather boots you know like um you know the canatrax and things like that and um they work awesome um but right now i'm just running um just the lightweight those crispy laponias um just it's that's definitely changed a little bit i mean i can definitely as i get older i can definitely just it's just a little bit less stress i think um on my, my on my legs and then uh they worked really well last year on the death hike um you know put 100 miles on those puppies and um so that's what i'm running right now for elk hunting you know as it gets into october and november you know i'd, I'd go to that little bit thicker boot um but that's 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 what i got right now is just the laconias um going back to your bow setup uh what are some mistakes you think people make and getting an effective hunting arrow bow setup combination right are they shooting too much poundage too light of an arrow too heavy of an arrow wrong broadhead design what's some kind of uh general rules that mistakes people make and general rules that you follow uh, i know like if, if i remember right you have like a, a max velocity that you want to shoot a, a broadhead at for most forgiveness if i can't draw my bow um on my butt or on my knees um straight back then i'm lowering my poundage um because there's a lot of times in in a hunting situation you'll get into that awkward spot and you got to pull back and twist around things like that so um if i can't pull my bow back on my bow on my butt then then i lower my poundage um then i always like to shoot the heaviest arrow i can at 280 feet per second basically around there um so that's kind of that's what i go for so like right now i think my setup's around four between 415 and 420 uh grain arrow and it's around 284 feet per second um it kind of that's kind of a good old rule for tuning your broadhead um you know right around there and then another one was uh i used to shoot a single pin um elk hunting and uh i went back to a a four or five pin slider i spent too much time as the elk was coming in um instead of worrying about you know keeping my eyes on the bull my eyes were on my sight all the time switching it from 30 to 40 to 50 um just too much movement for me and it, it it's a good setup um you know if if you work with it but for for me calling in elk I went back to the five pin slider because, you know, if you do get that bull out there, you know, out on an open hillside and he's not looking at you, then you can slide it around all you want. But, um, so I went with, I went with, uh, back to the pins. Um, so that's, that's one thing that had cost me a couple bulls is, um, moving my pin too much when the bull's coming in and not paying attention to my shooting lanes. Yeah, for me, that's always like, I think if I'm talking to somebody, talking both sites, it's like, you're, yes, at the range at a, on a 3D course, a single pin's the most effective 
you know, tool you could put on there. Just it's simple and clean, but in the real world, practicality hunting, uh, it's going to cost you an animal at some point. Yeah. And especially hunting, you know, multiple animals, you know, um, you know, a bear, antelope, deer. I mean, if a deer, if he's stalked in on a deer and he's 40 yards and, uh, and then all of a sudden he bounces out there and you got to make a quick shot. Um, you're not, you know, you got to move your pin a little bit. That's, that's kind of why, why I went back to the pins. I doesn't mean it's the right thing, but that's just kind of what's been, been helping me a little bit. So. All right, Steve, for you. So when it comes to this topic, I feel like I almost want to give you the constraints of not talking about packs or boots. Uh, and we, we've talked plenty about how those are like two of the most important items as a, a backcountry hunter uh, for many, many good reasons. And so if you're tempted to start there, let's at least skip that for now. You can come back and revisit if you want. But aside from those two categories, what would you say for you is game-changing gear? I think we, I mean, we got the advantage to listen. We pre-recorded all these before and Jeff Bloomquist's answer on gear that keeps you slash makes you comfortable. If you kind of really just look at that, that is so brilliantly answered. Um, Cause I kind of reflected on that of all the things that I do. And I think comfort can be defined in a lot of different ways. For me, I find the most comfort in a lightweight backpack you know, my, my total pack weight being light because I'm wearing that, you know, hunting dark to dark, right. First in the morning till dark till night. So it's depending on the time of year, it's eight to 13 hours that things on your back. And so keeping that light to me defines comfort for the next guy that could be his pack is heavy, but he's got a, you know, a super plush pad and sleeping bag and this nice big double wall tent and pillow and, you know, just a glassing chair, like, Whatever is going to make you comfortable, uh, I think is such a great way to approach it. Uh, a lot of that will come through experience, right? Like go on a hunt and like, ah, oh, this, you know, I really don't like sitting on the bare ground glassing. So I need to add a sitting pad or a glassing chair to my pack for the next hunt. Um, or I really didn't like getting a little bit wet and cold that morning. So I better buy better rain gear. Uh, you know, I think you just kind of through experiences, reflect on a hunt afterwards and find out the things you didn't like and kind of adjust your gear to that. Uh, I think it's such a great way to approach it. Um, going into specific items, game changing gear. Um, how many times have we said the Delorm in reach? I think that thing has been absolutely, um, you're just dating yourself, Steve, by calling it a DeLorme. Oh, DeLorme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is in my head. The Garmin in reach since Garmin bought DeLorme out. Um, that thing's phenomenal. Um, you know, packs, shoes. We've ranted enough about it on the podcast. People know where I'm at. Um, the one, one that I think is like, I've literally joked, like I almost feel like I'm cheating here, is being able to download sat, download satellite imagery to your phone so whether that's through the onyx app or earthmate or any of the other number of kind of um, gps apps that are out there now i just man i really use that a lot especially i'm gonna say especially in country i haven't been in before but even i use it in country i've been in before you kind of you know there's a, a little meadow up here but you know if i'm if country i've been in before but the country it's kind of hard to tell it's like hey, i don't know if that's 50 yards up there, or 200 yards up there. I, I pull that out 
all the time, pull out my phone, look at the satellite imagery. And I really, you know, my tactic for, you know, talk about being keys to being consistent and identifying strengths and weaknesses was, you know, after hunting with the born and raised guys, I really learned that my elk calling is horrible. Uh, and it's like, okay, if I can't get better at elk calling, how can I be more consistent at killing elk without that? And so my elk hunting strategy solo is, is really like moving through the country with, you know, the wind in my favor as best as possible. And, um, moving through that country, just, you know, kind of side hill traversing, following the topo lines and putting myself into positions where I think elk are going to be right. So that's pulling out my, my phone, looking at this at aerial imagery and going, Oh, there's a, there's a wallow right up here. It's marked on my map from the last time I was in this country, or there's this nice little bench up here with the elk bed. Um, and if I've not been in the country, right, I'm just looking for those topo lines and I'll, I'll, you know, okay, it's a hundred feet up me quarter mile ahead. So I kind of slowly climb up and then work my way into that bench and, uh, and hunt that way. And I've been very successful doing that. So having that, the quality of the maps right there on your phone has been something that's, I would say, absolutely attributed to me killing more animals uh, over the last 10 years. Well, that's a wrap on this series, guys. I hope you have enjoyed it. And once again, you can find all the episodes at exomountaingear.com forward slash podcast. If you stay tuned and hit that subscribe or follow button, we have a lot of great content coming your way soon, including next week right away. We dive into another series we're calling Elk Week. And once again, we'll have five part episodes coming each day of the week. So I hope you guys tune back in for that. As always, if you have any questions for us, have a guest suggestion, topic suggestion, or anything like that, send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com and we'll talk to you soon.